so good to be with you. I want to just take a moment to welcome all of you who are joining us online. Can we give it up for those who are joining us online today? And your family in Hope Eureka, Hope Church Eureka, we love you guys. We're so glad that you can join us online as well, and we just welcome you. Um, how many of you are stoked for Easter? Come on, I'm, I, I, I love Easter. I think, I think if you're a Christian, Easter's just got to get you fired up. I mean, if it wasn't for Easter, if it wasn't for the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, come on, would any of us be here right now? Come on, would any of us have the life that we get to live in this life of grace that Jesus paid the price for? And so I'm just so grateful. Every year as we kind of lead into Easter as your pastor, I, I want to bring a message series that kind of prepares our hearts for what God wants to do. I believe that every Easter is a fresh opportunity to experience the resurrection life and power that Jesus died and resurrected into to give us. And, and that's a gift. And I want to receive that gift just like, you know, on Christmas every year, we open gifts and it's a reminder of, of the gift of the birth of Jesus. Easter is a reminder that we get to open another gift and probably a more important gift. And that gift is the resurrection life and power that Jesus died to give us. And so we don't even get to celebrate Christmas if it isn't for Easter. So Easter is a special season. And so really, as I was praying into God, what do you want to speak to us during, you know, this season to prepare our hearts? This whole idea of the Via Della Rosa, which is the road that led to Calvary. It was the road that Jesus took, that he carried his cross to where he would be crucified. And it literally means um, the road of sorrow. And so um, really this road that Jesus took, the path that he took to go to the cross that led him to death is the same path, I believe, that leads you and I into the life that he died to give us. And so as we explore the steps that Jesus took to and on the road to the cross, I believe there's significance in every single step. Um, in, in Catholicism, they call them the Stations of the Cross. And there's many um, points along the way. And last week, we started off this message series um, with a message that I brought you that um, he surrendered for my salvation. And I believe that what started in the garden, where Jesus had to surrender his will to God, he, does, he never makes it another step without that wrestling. And that's where our journey begins into the life that God has for us. We got to get to the place where we're willing to surrender our will so that his will and his life can flow in us and through us. And so we started in the garden and today we're going to move into a prison. And we're going to see where Jesus now that he surrendered his will, he's betrayed by those that are closest to him. And he's brought before the religious leaders who are looking to condemn him and now bring him to Pilate which is the governing authority, the Roman governing authority over them, where they know that they need the Romans to execute Jesus because they don't want his blood on their hands. And so they come up with false accusations that Jesus is this, you know, um, he's this guy, this rebel who ha is trying to create a movement against Caesar. He doesn't pay taxes. He preaches against that. All these uh, accusations to give Pilate ammunition to give Jesus a death sentence. And so he's being held in a prison while all this is happening. And today, we're going to read that account. But before we get into the word, just real quick, I just want to remind you, oftentimes um, in church, you know, I know how it is. You, you hear hope news, and we're not really paying attention, and things go by. And 
we, we spend a lot of time, money, and resources to try to uh, bring events to you, bring uh, seminars, whatever, teachings to you to try to equip you on not just um, how to hear the word, but to how to live it out in your life. And so um, tomorrow night, I want to remind you, fellas that are in the house, we're going to have a, a men's movie night here. And it's a movie called The Heart of Man. Uh, many years ago, I was at a men's retreat, and I, I got to experience, because this movie is not just something you watch, it's actually something you experience. And, and I got to watch this movie called The Heart of Man, and, and quite honestly, you know, you're in a room with a bunch of dudes, and I'm like fighting back tears. I'm, I'm like literally like ugly cry, you know, like mascara running. I'm just kidding. Um, but just like, just ugly cry, you know, and you want to be tough. Like, you know, you're a bunch with a bunch of dudes. And so you don't want anybody to see, you know, you're like allergies. It was spring, you know, so that's legitimate. Um, but anyway, it just wrecked me and it impacted me deeply. And I said, this, this movie has got to get out. Like men need to, to see this movie. They need to experience it. And then uh, we're going to have a very real conversation as men as to, you know, our challenges to follow Jesus to walk in integrity and purity and to rise up to our very high calling as priests of our household and, and men that are called to advance the kingdom of God. So I hope you'll join us tomorrow night at 6.30. It's going to be an amazing time together. Uh, that's right here. And then later on in the week, we have something you heard about on Hope News um, called The Tune. And uh, we're, we're flying in a good friend of this house, uh, Mr. Kirk Curlin, and a buddy of his, that uh, amazing dynamic duo. Two guys, Dave Knopp, his name is, and um, they're going to teach you how to hear the voice of God and how to be led by the Holy Spirit. You know, back in January, uh, I led you in this message series on the Holy Spirit, and it's one thing to understand the work of the Holy Spirit. It's one thing to be in relationship with the Holy Spirit. It's a whole other thing to daily surrender our will to the Holy Spirit and to be led by His voice. The Bible talks a lot about as uh, New Testament, New Covenant, uh, Spirit-filled believers in Christ, that the way we overcome the flesh is to walk in the Spirit. And, but what does that mean? So these guys are going to teach you what that means and what that looks like, how to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, and then how to be led by that voice. So you're not going to want to miss it. This is really good. And then last thing, we have some amazing Easter invites for you guys to take with you today. We're, in, we're approaching a season where uh, many of you at one point were far from God. And there was a moment, I almost guarantee if we did a poll, 95% of you in the room would say, yeah, the first time I came to church is because somebody invited me. That was my story. I thank God for my Aunt Rita. Aunt Rita, if you're watching, thank you. I love you. I probably wouldn't be here today if you didn't invite me to come to church on that Tuesday night. And God just gripped my heart in that service. And I surrendered my life to him and my life's never been the same. You actually have the power to make an eternal difference in somebody's life through the simple invitation of inviting somebody to our Easter service. I'm going to preach the gospel. Um, we're going to have amazing worship. We're going to have a great time together. And yes, we're going to have a helicopter Easter egg drop, and that's going to be fun for the kiddos and everything. And, and to Taylor's point earlier, um, ironically, that brings in a lot of people from the community. And they come for the Easter egg hunt, and they're like, oh, I'm here at church already. Maybe I'll just step into the service. And every year, undoubtedly, we see people come to faith because of a silly helicopter egg drop. And you might think, you know, why do we do that? It's Easter. That's why we do it. Because God loves people. And he loves all people, not just you people. He loves all people. Amen? Amen, amen, amen. All right.
Let's read the word together. Man, I love the word of God. Um, can I tell you something? You know, professional preachers, I, this wasn't my career path. Like, I didn't, I didn't think I'd be standing up here uh, doing this. Uh, God got a hold of me. I had a call in my life. I knew that. But it was a journey to get to this place. And um, so I didn't kind of grow up in the church. I didn't go to seminary. So, um, you know, I only preached three times before I ever took this position as lead pastor. And so I didn't get indoctrinated in how you do this. And I know modern day preaching is, let me give you one verse to back up what I want to talk to you about. And then for 30 minutes, I'll, I'll share with you stories and funny jokes and keep you entertained and hope you go home with a little bit of nugget of truth. Well, that's just not me. I'm sorry. But um, I believe in the power of the word of God. And I believe that we need more scripture. Like, I, I honestly could just read this passage of scripture, drop the mic, and walk off. Because the, there's power in the word of God, right? And so this morning, uh, I've got cut out for you a choice morsel of scripture. And it's a little bit longer than normal. So I hope that you're okay with that. And I hope it doesn't bore you. Because quite honestly, as I've been just marinating on Matthew chapter 27, this next step in the journey of Jesus on the Via Della Rosa, his path that led him to death that leads us to life. Uh, I, I got to be out, even in first service as I read it, I got choked up. Um, and honestly, that's part of my goal as your pastor is to lead you into a fresh experience of what Jesus went through so that you and I could be here and experience the life that he gave us. I, I think oftentimes we skim over Easter, we skim over these things, and, you know, we watch movies during Easter, and then we just go on with the rest of our life. But this story has to, it has to grip you. It has to impact you deeply so that we live out of that place that Jesus died to give the life that you and I get to have and not take that for granted. I think too many times as Christians, we take it for granted. And so as, you're, as, we're, as I'm reading this to you, I want, I want you to let it just go down deep. Let it soak in. Let the reality of what Jesus did affect you. Amen? All right, Matthew chapter 27. Early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people made their plans how to have Jesus executed. So they bound him, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. And when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, everybody say condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us, they replied. That's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and hanged himself. The chief priest picked up the coins and said, it is against the law to put this into the treasury since it is blood money. So they decided to use the money to buy the potter's field as a burial place for foreigners. That is why it has been called the field of blood to this day. Then what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. They took the 50 pieces, 30, excuse me, 30 pieces of silver, the price set on him by the people of Israel, and they used them to buy the potter's field as the Lord commanded me. Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. And when he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, 
He gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, Don't you hear the testimony they are bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. Now, it was the governor's custom at the festival. Now, the festival he's referring to is the Passover. If you remember the Passover, what they celebrated is they celebrated when when God set his chosen people, Israel, free from the bondage of slavery in Egypt. And he sent a a death angel because uh, Egypt would not release God's chosen people. So he sent a death angel overnight and he commanded his chosen people to put the blood of a perfect, spotless, unblemished lamb as a sacrifice that they sacrificed on the doorposts around their homes so that when the angel would pass over, that they would be spared, their life would be spared. This is the festival that they're celebrating, ironically, during the time when Jesus, the perfect, spotless, unblemished, sinless lamb, would be slain and his blood would cover you and me. Amen? So this is the festival that he's referring to. I pause there because I think that's an important detail that we need to keep in mind. Now, it was the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. And that time, they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Jesus Barabbas. And so when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, which one do you want me to release to you? Jesus Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Messiah? For he knew it was out of self-interest that they had handed Jesus over to him. And while Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message. Don't have anything to do with this innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you? Asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? Pilate asked. They all answered, crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed? Asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. And when Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. And the people answered, his blood is on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them, but he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. Then they twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand Then they knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. They spit on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. And after they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put on his own clothes on him, then led him away to be crucified. Would you pray with me? Oh, Father, I thank you. Thank you for the sacrifice of your son, Jesus. God, I pray that we would not just skim over these words. 
that we wouldn't just read them, that we wouldn't just come to church and, and hear a message about it. But God, I pray that we would experience the reality of what Jesus died to give us. God, I pray that we would receive it today. For some of us, maybe for the first time, for some of us, we need to be refreshed in our memory of what Jesus did so that we can walk free. The condemnation that he took on was the same condemnation that set me free. So Father, I pray today that in the same way that you would set those of us who have been prisoners of our past, those of us who live in a cage of condemnation and shame and guilt, that today you would set us free by your stripes, Jesus. I pray that in your name. I give you this time. This is your message. I ask for your anointing because I cannot do this without you. I pray that you would speak through me to the hearts of your people this morning and that you would use it to set them free in Jesus' mighty name. Amen, amen, amen. Hey, can, we, can you do me a favor? I, I don't want to stop praying for our country. Uh, it's just the conviction that I've had as a, as a local pastor. I believe that the church needs to pray for our country. It's not enough to complain about it on Facebook. It's not enough to judge people and to get into political you know, wars. Um, but we need to first and foremost be a people of prayer. Prayer changes things. And so would you do me a favor? Can we take a minute and just pray for our nation together? Would you pray with me? Would you lift your voice as I pray? Father, we thank you that we have the privilege and the honor to live in this great nation called the United States of America. We never want to take it for granted, God. And yet, God, we recognize that we have turned away from you, the one true living God. And we have come out from under your authority in this nation. We've turned to other gods. Father, on behalf of this nation, on behalf of your church in America, we ask that you forgive us, that you uh, heal our land, God. Hear from heaven our cry for revival, God that you would sweep across this nation once again, that you would bring revival fire like you did in times of old, God. We need it more than ever, God. We need a revival in Washington, D.C. We need a revival in the heart of America. We need a revival in Montana. God, would you bring revival fire once again? Would you stir our hearts? Would you turn us back to you? God, we pray for our government. We pray for our leaders. We pray for President Biden. We pray for um, Congress, God, the House of Representatives. God, would you bring revival to Washington, D.C. and to this country? And Lord, we lift up the nation of Ukraine to you. Father, we pray for your hand of protection, God, that you would protect your people and bring peace in Jesus' mighty name. Everyone said amen, amen, amen. The title of my message to you this morning is Condemned for My Conscience. Condemned for My Conscience. We see that, that Jesus, in this next step on his way to the cross, he went from a garden surrendering his will to now a prison cell where he was condemned with the sentence of death. And we know that he was condemned and he allowed this condemnation to come upon him so that you and I could be cleared of our guilty conscience of sin. And um, for many of us, I believe that even though we kind of know that Jesus died to forgive me of my sins, if we're going to be honest with each other, most of us still wrestle with this idea of condemnation, these, these feelings of, of guilt and shame 
that somehow we know because Jesus paid this great price for us and our sins are for forgiven that we're supposed to live a life um, where we cherish this relationship so much with God that we don't sin. But the reality is my Bible says that we've all sinned. We've all fallen short. That the word sin actually means to miss the mark. That, that when we read the Bible, we come to church, we are confronted with the reality that there's this mark there, that God has called us to a higher standard. And yet, that, yet there's the reality of the very world and the culture that we live in. And even for a lot of us, the past that we've come out of, the darkness that God called us out of miraculously, that, that we once used to live in this life of sin and selfishness, and we surrendered our will to him, but now we wrestle. We wrestle with the reality that, that all of us are still sinners, even though the Bible calls us saints. That even though um, we are called sons and daughters of God, we wrestle with this inner conflict that we still have a tendency to sin. We still have a tendency to go our own way. We have a tendency to, to spit in the face of Jesus in spite of the great sacrifice that he's made so that you and I could live a life of freedom. That we can live a life where we don't have to be bound and trapped in a cage of condemnation. But if we're going to be honest with each other, most of the time we're doing pretty good just not living under that cloud of guilt and shame. And I personally believe that this area, in fact, as I was praying for you and I was praying over this message as I was preparing it, I felt like God gave me an assignment. The Holy Spirit gave me an assignment this morning. And he gave me an assignment not to just bring you a message, but to bring you an impartation of hope. Because what happens is, the, when we sin, we have this conflict and, and we have this very real enemy of our souls that the Bible calls the accuser of the brethren. And so when I see this picture and I think about this picture of what Jesus is going through in the praetorium where, where now he's about to get put on his head a crown of thorns. And I bought this um, off Amazon. It's not too bad, is it? It's kind of... A little cheesy, but I think it's it's a it's a representation, and I wanted you to see this because I don't I don't know that we fully understand what Jesus went through, and and the reality of not just what he went through, but what how what he went through can affect you and me. Specifically, I thought it was interesting that they put a crown of thorns on his head, and that the Bible says that he was beaten with the rod that they put in his hand, making fun of him, mocking him. The way on this journey to the cross was to imprison Jesus and to psychologically assault him with mocking words, um, trying to just tear him down mentally, mentally assaulting him in his mind, and in that, that the mental assault on his mind would get to his soul and it would break him down. It was an all-out assault of hell on his mind, unleashing thoughts of how, look at you, mocking him, making fun of him, and then putting this crown of thorns on his head. And I don't know if you could see this very well, but these, these thorns, they're not like little prickers. They're, some of them were this long. And, and they would smash them down when he's getting beat on the head with this rod. And I, I don't think it was, 
you know the Bible, everything that happens, happens for a purpose and a reason. I firmly believe that. There's no coincidences, right? And, and I thought about that the fact that where this begins, where this flogging be- begins was on the head. It was on the head. And this is exactly where the enemy tries to come at you and come at me because it's where they came at Jesus. And, and they were trying to get him to sin because if he could sin, it would negate everything that he came to do. And yet, that's why he didn't say a word. He just took it. He just received the beating. He received the mocking. They spit in his face and they were taunting him. And I believe firmly this is exactly what the enemy of your soul and my soul, the accuser of the brethren, does to you and me every single day when we sin. He tries to get us in a cage of condemnation. Look at you. You don't even deserve to be here at church. How do you call yourself a Christian? You're not a leader. You're not a pastor. Look, what are you doing up here? Who gave you the right to speak that? Look what you've done in your past. Look what you didn't do. Look at the things you've said. Look at the things you've done. You've got no right. And we get this onslaught of an assault on our mind that can keep us in a cage of condemnation. I don't know how many of you are, uh, you've got good memories. I've got a confession to make that as a pastor, um, I'm not very good at remembering names. And so if I see you in Target or Walmart or after service and, uh, and you come up to me, hey, Pastor Lance, it's good to see you. The first thing that's going through my mind is, is I'm trying to remember your name. And, and, and if I don't remember your name, I love that we in the church have a fallback. And that fallback is you're my brother in Christ, right? So if I don't remember your name, forgive me, but you my brother. Say, hey, brother, how's it going? Good to see you, brother. Hey, sister, you know. And I know that can sound a little weird, but it's my fallback because I don't have a good memory. And I've told my wife before, even sometimes during preaching, uh, one of the things that drives me crazy is if you can see my notes, I've got pages and pages and pages of notes. And, and if you've been here a while, you know me. Like, I don't, I don't look back at my notes, so I try to memorize it. I try it on Saturday nights. I ask the Holy Spirit, let this get deep down inside of me. And then I try to give it to you. And inevitably, there's things that I forget, and it drives me crazy because I want to remember everything that God gave me to say to you, but I don't. And, you know, sometimes that's a bad thing, but sometimes it's not such a bad thing. And I was reminded of that when I was, I was reading about this lady. Her name is Jill Price. And um, she has this rare condition called hyperthesmia. And what the condition is, is she can recall from age 14 on every single detail of her life. She has a photographic memory, and she remembers every single detail. So you could pick a date and say, hey, in 1989, uh, July you know, 22nd, and she could tell you everything that happened on that date, the color of the rug, the things, that, wh- wh- whether it was sunny out or whether, she remembers every single thing. And she wrote a book, an autobiography about her life called The Woman Who Never Forgets. And I was reading about her because I was fascinated by this. And you know, at first I was like, oh man, that'd be so cool. You can remember everything and until I read this quote from her and I want to read it to you. She said, even though I get up every day, I feel like I'm still standing in the same place. It's really being stuck. It's being stuck in a moment that you can't shake. There's no escaping it. And I feel like when I read that, it hit me that for most of us, 
That's exactly how we feel about one, two, three, or four things in our life. Sin that we've committed, mistakes that we've made, things that we said or did to other people. I believe that they can become like thorns that get stuck in our memory that the enemy uses to bring back the memories of pain and mistrust of hurt. And over time, if we're not careful, those memories can haunt us and they can begin to shape who we are or who we think we are, our perceptions. And psychologists actually have a term for this. They call it cognitive bias. Cognitive bias. And what it means is that every one of us, there's, there's the reality of what we experience in life. But all of us don't see things oftentimes as they really are. We see things as we really are. And so we have this perception or this lens that we perceive everything that's happening in our life through this cognitive bias. And if you don't think you have one, you probably do. Because for many of us, we don't realize that we even have these cognitive biases because what happens is this. Over the course of our life, we've experienced many things that have happened to us. People have hurt us. Accidents happen. Um, we suffer health issues. Things happen in life that we wish never happened. There's been people that have abused you, that have um, assaulted you, either verbally, physically, mentally, you name it. And over the years, even from a young age, I was thinking, I was um, remembering when I was in the, I was in the fifth grade and I was playing baseball. And you know, as a young man in fifth grade, your identity is being shaped in those moments and everything that you experience, it will either validate, you know, who you are or it will try to tell you who you are or who you're not. And, and I had one of those experiences on opening day of baseball season, Little League. I was so excited. Um, I was stoked. I was the starting pitcher and I was batting cleanup. And in the, in the very first inning, I had a guy on base and I was up, there was two outs. I got into a full count those of you are baseball fans, for the rest of you, you're like, full count, what is that? Um, and, and I got a fastball right down the plate, and I was ready for it, and bam, I knocked that thing. I, I hit it so hard, I didn't even look to where the ball went. I just threw the bat, and I started running as fast as I can, and I ran around first base, and I got around first base, and now I could see that the, the center fielder had been running towards the fence, and he stopped, and I could see the ball bouncing over the fence, and I knew I hit a home run out of the park. But in my excitement, I was rounding second, and I missed second base. And I, I ran and touched third and went home. All my teammates are jumping on me, and I was so excited, felt so good about myself, until they threw the ball to the second baseman, touched the bag, and the umpire said, you're out. And I was crushed, and I felt like an idiot, too. I hit a home run, and I missed second base. Now, that might seem like, okay, nice story, Pastor Lance, whatever. But the reality was that experience tried to tell me something. It tried to put on me this shame that even in one of my greatest, like, victorious moments that I messed it up. And the enemy came in and said, see, you're a failure. Even when you do something good, you're going to mess it up. 
And so every time after that, I got back up to bat, I had to fight that shame, that guilt, and it, it was like depowering. And so I believe for many of us, the things that we experience in life, the, the sin that we commit, the mistakes that we've made, the failures that we have, we have this enemy that wants to jump on you and wants to bring accusations to you and wants to take those memories and push them into your brain a little bit further to shape who you think you are and to separate you from the very life and the love of Christ, that you are accepted, that you are cleansed, that you are loved, and that you are empowered with the very authority of the blood of Jesus. And so I've got three things for you that I believe because of Jesus' condemnation that he took on us that we can experience because of that. And the first one is he was condemned so I can be cleansed. He was condemned so I could be cleansed. His condemnation led to my conscience being able to be cleansed and purified. But here's the problem with that. For many of us, we sin and we don't follow the biblical way to get cleansed from our sin. Like we know we sin and we believe in the grace of God, but too many times we sin either between me and God or, or God forbid to somebody else. And instead of doing what the Holy Spirit wants us to do, so you have to understand the difference between condemnation and conviction. One is from God, the other is from the enemy. Conviction is from the Holy Spirit. And it's a gift. Like, I believe there's some of us, can I tell you that when we get to the place where we don't feel conviction anymore, ooh, you're in a bad place. Because here's the thing. The Holy Spirit will put his finger on things in your life that God wants to cleanse out of your life and purify. And here, here's what happens is we feel that conviction and then the, the enemy of our soul, the devil, comes in and he starts accusing you and saying, see, you're bad. God doesn't love you. He, he's disappointed in you. You need to shape up. And God's just saying, no, discipline is for those I love. It's for your benefit. It's for your good. I'm trying to, I'm trying to shape you and make you, mold you in, more into my son Jesus to look like him. And if we're going to do that together, I've got to purify you. And the way that I do that is, is the Holy Spirit will come and he'll put his finger on something in your life. That's conviction. We should celebrate that. That's a good thing. It's nothing to be ashamed of. If you don't have that in your life, then I would start praying and asking, Holy Spirit, convict me. It's like you could walk into a place and you could feel the Holy Spirit say, you shouldn't be here. You could, you could go to click on that website and you feel the Holy Spirit say, no, you should not be doing this. And we need to stop right there. But condemnation is when we have confessed our sin and it's done, cleansed by the blood of Jesus, but the enemy still wants you to feel the condemnation, the guilt, and the shame. So we have to understand that the way that we deal with sin is we have to apply the blood of Jesus. And, and we don't talk about that enough in church anymore. Like, apply the blood of Jesus. But let me tell you, there was something to putting the blood of Jesus on the door. On the door. There was something about the frame, right? This is what, this is what changes our cognitive bias is when we do what it says in 1 John 1, 9. There's this promise. Listen to the promise. 
And then we'll go back to Hebrews 9.14. The promise is this. If we confess. Do you know what the word confess means? It means to agree. It means, Holy Spirit, I feel you convicting me of drinking too much alcohol. I feel you convicting me of looking at porn. I feel you're convicting me of the way you I treated my wife. I feel you convicted me of the way I lashed out on my kids. I feel you convicted me for cheating on my taxes. And I know it's tax season, so, you know, we'll just leave it there. But, <laughs> but it's not enough to feel the conviction. You've got to take it to the next step to clear it off your account. And that is this. If we confess our sins, he's what? faithful and just to forgive our sins and do what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so here's it. Oftentimes we sin and because we understand we're people of grace, we understand the grace of God, we just move on. God will forgive me. Or we throw up a quick prayer, God forgive me. And oftentimes if we've sinned and it affects somebody else, here's a big one. We don't go to that person and confess our sin to them and ask them to forgive us. And so we might get the vertical relationship right and get forgiven from God, but it still weighs on our conscience and it's not completely cleansed because we didn't go to the person and confess our faults, like James says, one to another so that you may be healed. Do you know that you could be forgiven but not healed? I could be forgiven of my sin but not healed in my conscience, I still got a pricker in it. I still got a thorn in my memory of the sin that I committed to that person until I confess, I agree, I hurt you. Would you please forgive me? I, I didn't mean it, but I did hurt you and I recognize it and I recognize it as sin. Would you forgive me? And then allowing that cleansing and that healing to take place. But too many of us were walking around and we're giving, listen, this is what happens when you don't confess sin. You are giving the enemy a playground to mess with your mind. And he's ruthless. He's ruthless. I was listening to Dr. Henry Cloud, who's a, he's a Christian psychologist, and he was talking about uh, these three P's of negativity. And it clicked for me, this is exactly what the accuser of the brethren does when he wants us to get stuck in a cage of condemnation. It's, so this, these are the three Ps. The first one is he wants your sin to become personal. That's the first P. The second is he wants your sin to be pervasive. That means affect everything in your life. And number three, he wants your sin to be permanent, to mark you permanently, to keep you in a cage of condemnation. And it just, it hit me, oh my gosh. This is exactly what the enemy does to assault your mind and to keep you locked in that cage of condemnation. So how that works is you don't just sin. He's going to take it and make it personal. You're a sinner. You didn't just fail. You're a failure. You didn't just mess up. Your life is a mess, pervasive. And so when we sin, the enemy jumps in and comes at you like a flood in your mind and starts making it personal. So in other words, you didn't, as a mom, you didn't just have a, a moment of weakness and lash out at your kids. You're a terrible mom. And now it's pervasive. You're a terrible person. How do you even call yourself a Christian? And then it becomes permanent. You'll never be a good mom. 
You'll never be able to control your, your temper or your anger. Do you see how that works? He wants it to become personal. He attacks you personally. He attacks you pervasively all throughout your whole life, and he attacks you permanently. He wants you to be stuck in a permanent cage or prison of pain that is inflicted upon you because of an assault of condemnation. And yet, Jesus paid the most beautiful price. When those thorns were put in his head, it says in Isaiah 53 that he was pierced for my iniquities, that he was bruised for my transgressions. I think I got that mixed up, but you get the idea. Those piercings and the blood that ran down, his atonement to cover my mind, to free me from condemnation. Hebrews 9.14 says, How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciousness from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? Here, here's the problem. Too many of us, we're not free to serve God completely because we're stuck in this place of guilt and shame and we don't have any confidence to step into the fullness of who we are in Christ. And yet my Bible says in Romans 8.1, therefore, now, right now, not, oh, when I do enough good works, when I serve enough in the church, when I go to church enough and my attendance is at least three quarters of the time, and when I go to Bible study, and, and when I give to God, then maybe I'll be worthy of no condemnation. No. Paul, Paul, the great apostle Paul, knew something about fighting condemnation. He was the one who had um, Stephen stoned right in front of him right in front of them, killing people who are good men who are following God. Don't think for a minute that the enemy didn't come and try to take Paul out from serving God in the fullness of who God made him to be and the calling that he had on his life. And don't think for a minute that the enemy is not trying to come at you and trying to rob you of your calling and steal your destiny and steal who you are, your identity in Christ. That's why Paul said, therefore now, because of what Jesus did. Therefore, now, right now, not in the future, not when I'm better, not when I, when I don't sin. Therefore, now, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Man, if we could just get this church, if you could experience the freedom from sin and death that Jesus paid the price for, if you could get your conscience cleansed, I mean, just like Paul did, and realize that the blood of Jesus sets me free from being bound in condemnation. So the next one is this. Because my conscience is cleansed, I, he was condemned so I could be convinced. What do you mean by that, Pastor Lance? Because I can be free of sin and of guilt and shame. See, this is what happens. The enemy wants to personalize your sin and put on you that you're a sinner so that he can separate you from the love of God. And this is where many of us get stuck. We believe mildly on a good day that God is somewhat pleased with me. We believe that he somewhat kind of tolerates me. But how many of us really are convinced that God loves me? 
like really like loves me, loves me for who I am, loves me right now, loves me in spite of everything that I've done. Paul understood in Romans chapter 8 what started with a declaration of your standing with God. That is, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, mind you, this is for people who have surrendered their life to Jesus. If you're here today, if you're watching online, if you're in Eureka, and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, then you are free game for the enemy to wreak condemnation on you. And I personally lived too long. I don't know about you, but I personally lived too long under that cage of condemnation. I felt it. It was like a dark cloud that hovered around my life wherever I went. It was like a splinter in the back of my mind reminding me all the time that God is mad at you. He, he, he hates you. He, he can never love you. How can, you're not accepted by him. And yet Paul says, with this declaration, that therefore now, because of what Christ did, there's no condemnation. There's also no separation. Because there's no condemnation, I never have to be separated from the love of God. But here's the problem. You and I are not fully convinced that Jesus loves me. And let me tell you, I don't know about you, but if this doesn't convince you, if the cross doesn't convince you, if this passion of the Christ for the joy set before him, he took the thorns, he took the beating, he took the flogging, he took the nails, he took the mocking, he took all of it. Why? Because of the joy set before him, because he saw you and me sitting here today on April 3rd. Is it April 3rd? Whatever. April 3rd at 220, 12:20. Because of you. The joy that is set before him. And listen, he went from no condemnation to Romans 8:33. Listen to this. Who will bring a charge against those whom God has chosen? You understand something this morning? You're chosen. 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 Who will bring a charge against those who God has chosen? Is it God who justifies? Yes, in God alone. He's the one who sits on the judgment seat. Who then, listen, who then is one who is condemned? No one. No one, nada, not you, not me, not you, not you. I don't care what you did last night. I don't care what you did last week. I don't care what you did five years ago. If you are in Christ, there is therefore now, right now, no condemnation. No one. It's just like when that woman was caught in the act of adultery and they threw her at the feet of Jesus and they were trying to test him and they picked up stones because the law said she deserved to be stoned to death. And, um, and that was with rocks. And so these people, you got it. You get, they all picked up rocks and they were ready to throw them. And Jesus just riding on the ground, he looks up and he says, ye who have no sin, go ahead. He throw the first one. And this woman was thinking she was, that was her moment. She was condemned for a sentence of death. And yet Jesus said to her, look up. Some of you need to look up this morning. Some of you have had your face in the ground, seeing the dirt of your life, the dirt of your sin. And today Jesus says, look up. He says, where are your accusers? And she said, sir, 
they're no more. Every one of them that had a rock, they dropped it and it rolled away. It reminded me back to the story of Passover where Jesus brought his people, Israel, out of Egypt, out of the bondage of slavery, which is a type and shadow or picture of our journey of stepping into the life of God and God rolling away the sin out of our life. And how what, what saved them was applying the blood of Jesus to the door. Oh, come on, church. Come on, in Revelation it says, how, how are we victorious? Man, and we, we, we're, you are victorious. You're not the heel. Come on, you're the head. The head, the crown. Jesus took the crown of thorns to give you a gold crown of jewels. Put it on your head. You're a son of the king. You're a prince. You're a princess. Man, you got a high calling. But you got to be convinced that God loves you. His banner over you is love. Do you know that? That is, that is the label. Oh, I know the world put some labels on you. He put, they put some labels on you, and you've allowed them to stick to you. But today, I believe the Holy Spirit wants to break off some labels. And I believe there's a new label that needs to get put on you, and that is his banner. His label over you is, I love you. I'll always love you. Always have loved you. There's no condemnation. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died? More than that? Come on, I love that. More than that, who was raised to life? How many are grateful for more than that? More than that, who was raised to life, is seated, check this out, at the right hand of God, and he's interceding for you. Do you know that Jesus is for you, not against you? Don't let the enemy lie to you and rob you and think that, the, that God is against you that he's mad at you, he's madly in love with you. You gotta be convinced of it. Look what he goes on to say in verse 35, or for 34, 35. Who shall then what? Separate us from the love of God. See, the enemy knows if he could just separate you. This is everything. Oh man, there was a time in my life where I, I just wrestled with believing that God really loved me. I couldn't, I couldn't wrap my, I could wrap my head around it, but I couldn't wrap my heart around it. That's why Paul, Paul says, oh, that your, the eyes of your heart would be enlightened, that you would be open to really understanding the depths of the love of God, because the love of God changed everything. The love of God was poured out while he was getting a beating, while he was being flogged. And by the way, these were cat nine tails. It wasn't just a whip. It was a whip with little, little razors on the end of it. And every time there was something that were going, hey, it would rip this skin out. And Isaiah says, and by his stripes, you and I are healed. We're healed of the sickness of sin. I'm healed of the disease of self. And I'm fully dependent on the spirit of God. The enemy wants to separate you from that love so that you'll try to work your way to God. See, condemnation says you need to do. The gospel says it's done. It's finished. When Jesus said with one of his last words, it is finished, you know, in the Greek language, that was the same word that they would use when you had a debt that you were indebted to and you brought it in, and when you paid it in full, they stamped it with the same word that Jesus used on the cross when he said it is finished. It meant the debt is paid in full. And yet we're walking around with the weight of the debt still on our back when Jesus took it on his back. 
so you could be free of the debt of sin. Oh man, some of you, Holy Spirit, help us. Help us to really get the depth of this. Who can separate you from the love of God? Come on, put that back up. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Shall trouble, some of you are going through some trouble right now, shall hardship, persecution or famine, or nakedness or danger or sword, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered a sheep to be slaughtered. No, 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 no. Paul says, in all these things, you're more than a conqueror. You got to be convinced of it. You got to have confidence in it. You got to be convinced of what Jesus did so that you can be more than a conqueror. You're not under sin. You're on top of it. You're free of it. See, we think of what Jesus did as half glass half full he paid for our sin but you got to realize something he didn't just pay for your sin he imputed to you he gave you all his righteousness so he traded he said i'll take your crown of thorns i'll take your condemnation i'll take the death sentence that was on you and i'll take it on myself and i'll give you my life i'll take your crown of thorns i'll give you a crown of jewels I'll give you life. And here it is, verse 38. For I am convinced nothing can separate me. Nothing can separate me from the love of God because of what Christ did, not just on the cross, but in that prison. He was beat. The last thing I got for you is he was condemned for my confidence. See, when you know, when you know that you've been cleansed of your sin and you're convinced that because you've been cleansed of your sin, Jesus actually loves you. He wants to be with you. He wants to spend time with you. He wants to draw near to you. He wants you to draw near to him. And when you're convinced that God loves you, now you can approach him in confidence. And man, this, I think this is plaguing the church. We've lost our confidence. Men, we've lost our confidence. Come on, we've lost our confidence as, as the priest of our homes, as husbands, as fathers, as sons, as daughters of the Most High God. My Bible says that we should approach the throne of grace with confidence. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence, to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. Come on. There is a new and living way that Jesus paid for, for you and I, through his body. Now we can have confidence. And finally, I want to leave you with this thought because I know a message like this even can convict us even more. And you know what? That's okay. But for a lot of us, we look at our lives and where we're at and and we could start thinking of all, all the things that we've messed up in our life. And God gave me an assignment to remind some of you that, that today, today there's no more condemnation. Today's a clean slate. It's a fresh start. Because God wanted me to remind you just like Paul was trying to remind the Philippians. In Philippians chapter 1 verse 6. <laughs> Look at what he says. He says that I am convinced and confident 
of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will continue to perfect and complete it until the day that Jesus Christ returns. So what does that mean for you and me? It means I'm still a sinner. I'm not there yet, but I'm not gonna let my sin get in the way of God cleansing me and convincing me that he loves me so that it empowers me to live a sinless life. And that even though I'm not perfect, even though I'm not where God wants me to be, I'm on the journey, I'm on the way, I'm one step closer. As Jesus took a step closer to the cross, I'm taking a step closer to him, being sanctified in his blood. I'm putting the, the, the blood on the frame of my doorway, the gatekeeper to my mind, because here's the thing. There's this thing that psychologists call when, when you're stuck in an old mindset, in old ways of thinking, seeing yourself in patterns of old, the way you break out of that is this thing called reframing. And I thought, what a beautiful picture that the blood of Jesus covered the frame of the door, the place of going in, the place of going out. The mind is the gatekeeper to your soul. And if we will apply the blood of Jesus on the frame, and allow scripture to reframe who we are in Christ, the truth about who you are. If you'll just marinate in scripture, come on church. I'm telling you, leading up to Easter, if you'll just get in the word of God and start allowing the word of God to cleanse you, because that's one of the things it does, cleanse your mind and to reframe your mind to remind you of who you are in Christ. You're more than a conqueror. Something's gonna change. Things are gonna shift. Man, I feel it so strongly. Some of you, this, this is monumental. Today is monumental. Some of you today, right now, I just want to take a moment as we close our service because I, I, I sense that the Holy Spirit wants to do a work in our hearts and in our minds. And if we'll just take a moment to wait in the presence of God and allow the Holy Spirit to just speak to you. And we're going to open up this altar. Sometimes we need to have the confidence to just say, I don't care who's looking. I'm getting to the throne of God because I know that's where I'm changed. So I just want to give this invitation right now in this moment. There may be some of you here. Paul said there, now, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That means for people who have surrendered their life to Jesus and want to follow him with their life and have made that decision, have made that commitment. And maybe you're here, maybe you're watching online and, and you're tired of living a life of guilt and shame and being stuck in a cage of condemnation. And today is the day. You're here not by chance, but today is the day that the Holy Spirit led you to hear this message so that you could be set free from it. I want to give you an opportunity to do that. So I want you to pray this prayer with me and then we're going to open up this altar and we're going to have our prayer team over there. I believe there's three different people that the Lord wants to speak to. Those who don't know Christ. Today's the day he's, he's rending your heart 
And he wants you to surrender your life to him so he could set you free from the guilt and shame and the condemnation. There's a second group of people. I believe that there's those who have known Jesus at one time, but you've walked away from the faith. You've allowed the enemy to convince you that God doesn't love you, that he's disappointed in you, that your life is a disappointment and it's too late for you. It's over, game's over. You might as well just live, eat, drink, and be happy because you're, you're living condemned. You're a dead man walking. And, and God wants me to remind you that you're never too far for the grace of God. You ever think about Judas for a minute? You ever wonder, could have God forgiven Judas? God loved Judas in spite of knowing that he would betray him. I believe that just like when Judas hung himself, for many of us, condemnation becomes like a noose around us spiritually, squeezing out the very life that Jesus died to give you and me, keeping the oxygen and the blood from flowing to the head. And too many of us are living lives under a noose of condemnation. When Jesus wants to restore you and bring you hope, you can change. This isn't permanent. The third group of people is, there's some of you that, man, you don't feel anything. Your heart is cold. In fact, your problem isn't that you, uh, you experience condemnation, but you put condemnation on other people. You judge other people. And my Bible says that you don't even see right because you've got this log in your eye and you're trying to take the speck out of your brother's and sister's eyes and maybe even the church's eye. And you don't even see people the way Jesus sees them because you got this log in between you and them and God needs to remove that log so that you can see people clearly. I wanna pray for the first group and the second group. I want us to pray this prayer together. If that's you, if you want to receive Jesus, let's pray this prayer together. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for going to the cross and being condemned so that I can be set free. Thank you for taking on my sin could be free of shame. Today, I ask you to forgive me and wash me clean of all my sin. And I commit to you my life and I surrender my life to you and ask you to come in now. Fill me with your Holy Spirit that I may follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name.